you know, let me pray for us and we'll, uh, we'll jump in and get going. Lord, thanks for this morning and for our time. Lord, pray that everything that uh, we say will be edifying uh, and uh, that the Bible will become clear. That's our prayer. And so help us in that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we've been going through uh, Revelation, and we backed up into Daniel, and we're getting into a bunch of prophets and all that. You know, it's kind of the, um, the section of the Bible um, where people probably know the least. Um, you probably know uh, stories. I, I, I figured this out. I'm not the sharpest guy, but after about 20 years of teaching, I figured out kind of what people know coming into a seminary class or into church. Um, it starts with some basic Bible stories, right? Um, so like kind of the lowest hanging fruit or the things that most people know or heard of or something. Um, something, something about Jesus. Right, so you got some Jesus stories. Have no idea how the Jesus stories are actually in any of the Gospels. In other words, um, Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals the blind guy. Jesus lays, raises someone from the dead, something like that. Where those are in the Gospels, no idea. Never even thought about it. Um, they're just in there somewhere, right? So they're not oriented in any way to the story. Does that make sense? Um, you got the flood, Noah, um, creation in the fall. Um, then it starts, okay, so th those are kind of the biggies. And then we're getting down into some, you know, little less known. But, you know, if you grew up in church, you probably heard them, right? The kid stories, yeah, Joan and the Whale. Uh, Dave, oh, gosh, yeah. Dave, Dave and Goliath, yeah, we got Daniel and the Lion's Den. Yeah, and then, and then you keep going down, and uh, and then uh, books that you've heard preached or maybe even read, epistles. Um, if you look at most people's Bible, kind of the section of the Bible where they maybe have read, um, you probably at some point in your life said, I want to read the Bible. Okay, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to read the Bible. And you start reading Genesis, and it's okay. You know, well, I'm not sure I make sense of much of this, but. I'm tracking a little bit. It seems to be like a story. At least once you get to the Abraham part. And then you get to Exodus and you're going, oh, this is, you know, okay, this isn't bad. So you get to the building of the tabernacle and you're going, okay, I have no idea what this is. And and you keep reading and you're trying to hang in there, but it keeps getting worse. And you're going, I don't know why I care about any of this. And so you kind of skip over to Leviticus. You're going, yeah, this is horrible. I'm, I'm done. And so you just either give up or go back to the New Testament, right? Does that sound about right? Yeah. You've been around church. I can probably predict. Uh, we were playing a game in the, our seminary class last week. Uh, I'm teaching uh, prophets as one of the classes we're teaching. And, uh, and it was like, uh, you know, kind of name that tune. I can name that tune in one note, two notes, three notes. Well, um, it was, uh, okay, I bet that you have only one verse in this book and see if anybody could come up with a second verse in the book. Everybody knew the first verse, but no one could come up with a second verse. And I can tell you, by book, what verses, you know, our seminary students who they tend to at least have some interest in the Bible. <laughs> but but um, two verses, that's it, the whole book, nothing, right? Um, and so, um, you know, so that kind of becomes 
That's pretty standard. Even with people who've grown around up around the Bible or spent your whole life in church, um, you really don't know how any of it fits together. You've heard a bunch of sermons, a bunch of stories, a uh, bunch of principalized lessons about what you're supposed to be doing and not doing. But as far as how the Bible actually fits together as a, as a unity or a story, or even how each book works, no way. Um, we were in uh, Tuesday morning Bible study, and we just took time to do the whole story of the Bible. Um, and one of the guys came up afterwards and he said, I've been, since I was a little kid, I've been reading my Bible my whole life. Growing up in church my whole life. It's never made sense until today. And he wasn't a young guy. He was, you know, 70s, right? And so that's pretty standard. I think that's pretty normal. All of that to say, um, there is a ton of great um, detail that really helps you understand uh, um, what's actually going on in an individual book, an individual story. But if you don't know how the whole thing fits together, then that detail isn't particularly helpful until you see the big picture. So we've got some choices to make as far as where we go. We can continue to, um, we can, we've kind of walked through Daniel briefly and quickly. We can go back through and I can show you in detail what's going on. And I, I think some of it's just amazing. But it's got to be oriented to the bigger picture. If we don't know the bigger picture, then the significance of the details kind of becomes irrelevant. Does that make sense? So, question, where do we go from here? I don't want to jump into the details, and um, the details can either become very helpful or, you know, you don't care. It's like uh, if you couldn't care less about Star Wars, the last thing you want to do is listen to two Star Wars geeks talk about the significance of Leia's outfit in this scene, and you're going, I, I really don't care about Star Wars. Y'all are just weird, and y'all need to get a life. <laughs> well, we should, but, but, but how do we care? In other words, if you jump straight into the, the details in such, such depth that, you know, it's hard to orient it. Well, yeah, every book, all all the names in the Bible mean something, right? Um, and 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 the the names match the kind of the characters they play. I was flipping the channels the other day, and Dances with Wolves was on, so I stopped and listened. And there's the scene where they are given their names and you know, kicking bird and I'm going okay well they got that name somehow <laughs> kicking bird stands with fist yeah and then John dumb dumb bear not dumb bear Dunbar 
not dumbbell. <laughs> it matters. The name matters. Um, and most of uh, English names have a meaning. We just don't know what what it is, right? Uh, but uh, but yeah, all the all the names um, in the Bible are certainly significant. Um, Some of that, yeah, yeah. Some of the the genealogy stuff that has been kind of forced in there, but but uh, yeah. Um, but do we want to go into detail in Daniel? Do we want to? How much detail? How long? If we jump into detail, some of us will find it wonderful. Others will be bored to death and never come back. And I don't want to do that, so I'm trying to. Um, uh, David, you you mentioned the Tuesday study on the whole story of the Bible. Yes. What, what, was that a, a one-week study, a four-week study? How, how long a study was that? Uh, we're actually um, we're, we're doing Revelation on Tuesday morning. And the extent to which you know the first 65 books, is the extent to which the last book will make sense to you. The last, the mm -hmm. last, you know, um, the Paul Harvey, you know, the rest of the story. Well, if you don't know the beginning of the story, you don't know the rest of the story, right? And so actually, have you ever noticed, okay, young people, you don't know who Paul Harvey is. You know who Paul Harvey is? You do? Yeah, you don't count, Reese, because you're like, not normal. <laughs> Reese is one of those real high IQ guys that knows everything. We're talking about the, uh, yeah, Jesse, do you know who Paul Harvey is? <laughs> I would ask Mike, but he's not here. <laughs> James? No, okay, so James doesn't know who Paul, so Paul Harvey, radio guy, who basically would say, you know, here's what you know, here's what you didn't know. And so it helped you kind of orient what this person was was doing, that type of thing. So. Um, if we spend time in the big picture and touch the books and kind of go through and turn light switches on, so to speak, the whole Bible will start to make more sense to you than going to one book and going into great detail. Um, you know, so Daniel's kind of past the middle half of the story. We could go into great detail. Um, and that might be not not nice, but if you don't know what Daniel's doing in the story, um, I'm not so sure you're going to get the full significance of it. Are in the last days. Sure. That, that always helps me is when you do a quick overview of the Bible and you draw, like, this is Genesis, and like, this circle means that's Exodus, and it's just like a quick overview. That, that always helps me. I also remember Caroline saying one time that the circle that was replacing the different names in the circles really something clicked with her when she went through the Bible. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Não. It's just you, Coonrod. That's all. Um, uh, we're just talking about over, how the overview is helpful. I, I think you know some stories or something in the Bible, and how that all pulls together is helpful. Overview is helpful. Maria, were you going to say something? Her name is Gloria, but I always call her Maria for whatever reason. I, I can't get through my brain. Katie told a story. One of the kids uh, that the boys grew up with, uh, the older one was Bobby Wade, and he played receiver with Luke. And then Joey was his younger brother, and he was, no, was anyway, Joey was with you. Bobby was older than that. Anyway, older brother, younger brother. I was always calling the younger brother Bobby, and so he started calling me Jimmy because that's my brother's name. And, and so we just left it like that. It's just easier for me to remember, and he would, anyway, so anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Luke. I'm kind of interested in the kind of the overview of each book, where we'll be able to see how they Jesus fit in each book. Because I mean, I might be the only one that doesn't get it, you know, as soon as I read it. But uh, but uh, I'm interested in seeing that. Okay. In every book of the Bible, and then kind of put it together. Okay. And we'll end in Revelation. That's how we're going to get back to Revelation. Okay. Good. All right. Okay. Um, here, here's what I want to do. Uh, uh, so uh, I want to, um, in, in one, in whatever, 45 minutes. What time do you got here? Oh, we have an hour. Oh, in an hour. We can do the Bible in an hour. Um, so I, I'll walk, walk us through each book, track the story, and show us how each book kind of fits. Uh, as we're going. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. Um, this isn't something that you need to necessarily take notes. Um, um, just track just track with the story. You can take notes if you want. Don't, don't get ready. You can take notes if you want. Um, there is a, a website. Let me share with you. Uh, uh, biblicalstory.org is, is actually where, let me show you this. Let me um, Biblicalstory.org is um, where all of our class notes are for the seminary. So me and Charlie Bayless, one of the other professors, um, um, this is where our class notes are located. Uh, if you click on this Biblical Story video series, this is 14 videos where Dr. Bayless, Charlie Bayless, walks through the story of the Bible. Um, it's helpful. Um, there's also, I'm going to click on it and show you. There's, uh, that's his book he's working on. So there's 14 uh, lectures, and it kind of walks through pretty heavy in the beginning of the story. Uh, Abraham through the kings, the law, exile, gospels, church age, revelations. 14 lectures. He is, yeah, it's good information. So if you like dry, this is for you. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, commentary by book. These are the actual uh, notes that uh, we've been working on for years, uh, and it goes book by book. Okay, so uh, introduction to the story, 
finding Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, glory, that's what you're talking about. Uh, and then each book of the Bible uh, is here all the way down through the Old Testament. Gospels, Acts, Epistles. Right, so it's all there. Uh, it's a ton of information, okay? But that's the problem. If you jump in to the great detail before you understand the, 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 the story, then that makes it much more, more complicated. There's this great urge to get over here to where we are in the story, but you don't understand where we are in the story until you understand how we got to where we are in the story. Does that make sense? All right, so uh, let's, uh, okay, so what we're going to do in, in one hour is we're going to walk you through the Bible. Um, we'll probably spend the first fair amount um, in the book of Genesis because the story, um, the most important part of the story is the beginning and the end. Right? Because stories begin at the beginning and they go to the end. Good. Um, and so the middle part of the story connects the beginning to the end. Now, just saying that, you know, it sounds so obvious. You're going, well, duh, thank you for that, genius. Uh, but we tend to think of the Bible as something other than a story. Um, you know, and, and how we approach it is very different than if you picked open a, a, a novel this thick, your approach would be very different. If you picked up a novel this thick, where would you start? At the, well, if you were inclined to pick up a novel this thick and you were going to read it, <laughs> some of us will be like, nope, not for me. <laughs> Do they have a movie? <laughs> I'll watch the movie. Uh, yeah. Moby Dick. No thanks. Not interested. Uh, but you start at the beginning. Uh, so stories, talk to me about story. How do stories work? Any story. Doesn't matter. Characters, setting, plot, right? What does that mean? Uh, break that down for us who are, um, we, skip, we were sleeping in English class. Okay. So um, most stories have a main character. Fair? Okay. Um, now the good the good part about doing it this way is there's there's no there's no files for your brain to search <laughs> because you you've never thought of the Bible this way. Right? Character the main character of a story is the main character of a story because they're the ones with the problem in the story. Does that make sense? The who's down in Whoville like Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. Who has the problem? What's the problem? And like Christmas. Okay. The rest of the story tells about his plan to steal Christmas, and then at the end of the story, it actually doesn't work, and he reevaluates re his view of Christmas. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, so every story doesn't matter. The, the main character is the one with the problem, and then the, the story tracks with the main character as the main character seeks to or does resolve the problem. If they succeed in resolving the problem, 
we call it a literary comedy. Good ending, happy ending. How about that? Uh, bad ending is a tragedy, right? So the Bible would be a good ending. Good ending. Okay. Okay. So who's the main character of the story? No. No. God. Bible serves God whereas man is all about healing himself. Yeah, so so um so let's track so let's just track the story. Let me show you how the story, the main character in the story is God and not man. Um we were years ago. Hey woman, you want to teach this? <laughs> <laughs> um, years ago, uh, Charlie Bayless and I were at some conference. We're actually skipping the, the, the conference to sit and talk. Um, and we realized that God is the main character of the Bible. And the other people were going, really? This is what you guys are trying to figure out? Seems to be common sense, right? Now, here, literarily, um, you have a setting. What's the setting of the part of the story? It's the part before the problem. How about that for simple, right? Everything before the problem is the setting. Now, there can be problems in the setting. There isn't in the Bible, but there could be. Um, Cinderella, for example, right? There's a whole lot of problems before the problem that the rest of the story is going to center on, which is she wasn't invited to the ball. That makes sense. Everything after this not being invited is going to center around that. Um, so the plot, plot, just a fancy word for saying the problem presented in the story. Everything after this, the Bible is going to try to fix this. The story is going to try to fix this issue. Right? The problem is in Genesis three, the fall. Okay. So in Genesis one and two, God creates the heavens and the earth and the sea. And he fills the heavens and the earth and the sea with stuff, birds, plants, animals, fish. Uh, and then on the sixth day, he creates man in his image according to his likeness. Track him? What does that mean, in his image according to his likeness? God creates man, uh, and by man, uh, ha-adam, uh, it's not just the man, masculine, but the man and the woman, male and female, he created them in the day that he created Ha-Adam, the man, all right? So man, mankind, man and woman, male and female, one man, one woman, one flesh, created uh, to rule over this creation according to what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Does that make sense? To be image bearers, that's what that means, and to rule over creation as he has prescribed. Um, the serpent uh, comes into the scene in chapter chapter three and deceives the woman to eat the, the tree from the tree which the Lord commanded them not to eat, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was there with her, the man, Adam, was there with her, Eve, um, and he doesn't 
fix the mess then. Um, and so she eats. Then she gave the fruit to her, her man with her. And he ate, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they start to do what's good and right in their own eyes. That makes sense? Not doing what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, rejecting the word of the Lord, rejecting what's good and right in his eyes, they start doing what's good and right in their own eyes. Any of that going on today? Yeah. That, this is what we call the sin nature. It's never defined. I spent you know, six years in seminary, and they never defined the sin nature. This is the sin nature. It is your desire to reject what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord and do what's good and right in your own eyes. And then justify it. Christians are better at it because they justify it with Bible verses. Um, but uh, everybody's doing the same thing. Right? Uh, and so at this point, God, uh, the problem is presented to God. He's created this creation. The man he created to rule over his creation, he said, I'm not doing it your way, I'm doing it my way. What's his response? Well, he expels them from the garden, lest they send forth their hand and take and eat from the tree of life and live forever. But before he kicks them out of the garden in the chapter 3, uh, he tells them how he's going to fix this thing. He's going to fix it through one who's going to come onto the scene, who's going to do what Adam failed to do. He's going to operate according to what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, and he is going to rule this creation as Adam was supposed to and did. Right? And so the story is looking for the last Adam, or the, the perfect Adam, not the failed Adam. Does that make sense? Okay, everything in the story, that's what it's looking for, and nothing else. If you get that, it'll make a lot of sense to you. Right? Uh, but also in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, <clears throat> you learn more. There's not just, so there's not only going to be this promised one who's going to come and fix it all, but there are going to be others who are, are antagonistic. They're going to take the side of the serpent uh, and reject the plans of the Lord, what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, they hate the Lord. They hate the promise of the Lord. They hate the carriers of the promise of the Lord. And they're going to try to kill, steal, kill, destroy. Okay. And so there's going to be two teams in this story. Okay. Um, and you're going to see it immediately in chapter 4. How many sons are born in chapter 4? Well, there's actually three, but two at the beginning. Cain and Abel. Okay. Whose side is Cain on? He's on the enemy's side. Uh, Eve thinks that this is the promised one. She says, I've begotten a man of the Lord. This is it. Here he is. Um, and then she has another son, names him Abel. Um, now, back in Genesis 3, you learn more about what's going to be the relationship between these two sides. Until the one comes who actually restores this rule, there's going to be enmity between these two teams, so to speak. Enmity, what does that mean? It's a big word. They're going to be enemies. Enemy. Um, and so there will be enmity between the woman and her seed and between the serpent and his seed. 
And so everybody who walks onto this scene, comes into this story, is going to be on one team or the other. Everybody, including everybody today. See the woman, see the serpent. How do you become, let's jump forward a little bit. How do you become on the right team? You place your faith in the promised one who was promised to come from the beginning. And you wait for that fulfillment. It's that simple. How do you, uh, how are you on Team Satan? Reject it. It's just that easy, right? By faith. And so chapter 11, the sermon today, by faith of Hebrews, all of these characters throughout the Bible, by faith, for waiting for that which was promised, and they never got it. Why? Because it's still coming, right? So all of these books are going to fit into this simple story. So Cain, see the serpent, kills Abel, the believer. And so Seth, the next son is born, is a replacement for the promise for Abel. And so in chapter 5 of Genesis, um, the, the story, the, the, the genealogy of the promised one who is to come is tracked from Seth all the way down to Noah, right? The flood story. You have the flood, Noah has his wife, singular, and his three sons and their three wives, and they're the only ones that get on the boat. And the plan was to wipe out all of Team Satan. They get off the boat, guess what? Didn't work. They show right back up, right? So the promise continues through, the old, through Noah's oldest son, Shem. Right? And so you're introduced to a new genealogy after the flood, and it goes from Shem to Abram. Abram, his name is going to be changed to Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. Um, but the promise is given to Abram. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you have to understand that all the families of the earth will be blessed through the, the previous part of the story. Creation was cursed. A man was expelled from the garden, and their only hope for blessing is the one who's going to come and remove the curses and bring the blessing. That make sense? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, there's going to be one who's going to come forth from you, Abram, and he's the one who's going to bless the nations. By the way, this is why in the Bible, um, they're only tracking male births. Did you ever notice that? Almost never is a female birth. One time I can think of where a female birth is recorded. It's in Hosea. Lo Rahman, no compassion. Uh, it's a daughter is born. It's always a male. Why are they tracking the male births? Because they're looking for the promised seed to appear. And of course, the promised anti-seed or anti-Christ is always showing up as well as an antagonist. Okay, so all these stories you're going to see, Cain, Abel, Noah, everybody else, uh, Abram. Abram is going to have how many sons? Do you remember in the story? No, Abram. Two. Ishmael. Whose side is Ishmael on? Satan. Whose side is Isaac on? Well, he ends up on God's, but God's got to drag him along. He started. Yeah. And then Isaac has two sons. And they are Jacob and Esau. Whose side is Esau on? Satan. Whose side is Jacob on? Satan's until the Lord drags him along. 
Uh, and then Jacob has 12 sons, right? And one of them is a God follower. And how do the others view him? They hate him and they try to kill him. Right? Remember, Joseph and the rest of them. By the end of the story, God drags all of them onto Team Jesus, so to speak. Right? Uh, but along the genealogy, not only do you have these individuals, but these individuals on the, the bad guys on Team Satan, they're the, the, the ones from whom the nations come. Team Satan. All of them. So you're tracking the promise through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Twelve sons. At the end of the book of Genesis, there's 70. In the meantime, all of the bad guys have populated the nations. So, uh, for example, from the line of Canaan um, comes Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim. Um, you know it is Egypt. Uh, so, so these descendants of the nations, they're all going to show up on the wrong side. But the story is not just about redeeming, fixing uh, the problem for one nation, but it is through you all the nations will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? So how does that work? This is where, we're, this is where the end of the story is going. Does that make sense? And so God is in the process now from Genesis 12 all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, um, even the New Testament. God is in the process of building this promise of a nation into an actual nation through whom the promised one will come. And he will be the king of kings and lord of lords, that type of thing. Okay. Um, and so... Um, if Israel is down in Egypt, 70 people, that's not a nation, is it? All right. So what has to happen to have a nation? What do you have to have to have a nation? You have to have land, right? What else? People? Anything else? Law, at least in, in theory. Um, there's supposed to be a law. Whether people follow it or not, that's debatable. Uh, we're living that out now. But nonetheless, all right? Okay, so you write the story. What would have to happen? They're down in Egypt. By the way, they're told, uh, Abram is told, back in chapter 15, uh, your descendants, I will make your descendants is like the sand of the seashore. Right? Uh, I will multiply them greatly, but they're going to be enslaved for 400 years, and then I will visit your people, and I will bleed them out. Okay, so what do you think is going to happen? Um, 70 is going to grow into a multitude, and then uh, the Lord is going to lead them out. Lead them out of what? Out of bondage, out of slavery, uh, in the nation of Egypt, and take them to the promised land. Why do you think it's called the promised land? <laughs> because it was, it was promised to... Abraham, yeah. And then it was promised to Isaac and then to Jacob. And so you're going to hear this language all through the story, on account of the fathers. God is going to keep his promise on account of the fathers. What fathers? Um, 
I love what Jesus says to the Pharisees, right? When they don't get it, he says, have you not read? <laughs> I love that. Uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? The fathers. And so what's Moses doing? Well, in Exodus, Israel was fruitful and multiplied, right? And so Moses shows up to do what? Lead them out. Um, now, along the way, the, the genealogy, you track the genealogy, and in the genealogy of the 12, and we'll skip over some of this, but in the 12 sons of, of Judah, or the 12 sons of Israel, you're watching the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe of promise. The story establishes that, but trust me on that. Okay? Uh, so you're watching the tribe of Judah. Well, Moses comes onto the scene. Moses' uh, dad is a Levite, and his mom is a Levite. That would make Moses a Levite. Did I lose anybody there? <laughs> okay. A Levite marries a Levite and they have a kid. It's a Levite. Okay. And so you're going, um, why do we care? Right? Well, Moses leads the nation out, takes them uh, into the wilderness where they receive the, the law. Right? So, so we got the law. Okay. We got our, you know, this is how we're going to operate when we get in the land. We got the people. Now what do we need? The land. Where do you think the story goes? To the land. So they go to the edge of the land. Uh, they count everybody up. It's the book of Numbers. There's a census at the beginning and a census at the end. Okay, that's why it's called the book of Numbers. Count everybody up. We all here? Yeah, okay, good. Let's go take the land. Uh, wait, let's spend out, send out some spots. So they send out one spy from each of the tribes, and they come back, and 10 of the spies say, we ain't going there. They got giants in the land. We can't. Um, they judge according to what's right in their own eyes, rather than according to the word of the Lord. Um, and Caleb and uh, Joshua say, nope, let's go take it. The Lord says, uh-uh. So he takes these people who have rebelled against him, rebelled against his word, rebelled against his plan, all the way they're whining saying, we had it better back in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Now, there's no hope in this story in Egypt. The promise is in the land. The promised one is coming in the land. The nation is going to be established. This one is going to come. He's going to be the king of this nation, and he's going to rule the nations, and he's going to bless the nations. There's no going back. Right? So the Lord, what's the Lord's response? Takes them into the wilderness, kills them all. For 40 years, they had funerals every day. That's all they did. Drank from rocks, water from rocks. Drank, uh, ate manna from heaven. They complained about the manna. They wanted some meat. And so the Lord said, well, then I'll send quail, and you'll be so sick of eating quail. It'll be coming out your nose, it says. I love that. You'll be so sick of it, they'll be coming out your nose. <laughs> I'm tired. But you want it, you, you got it, right? Um, so for 40 years, uh, they ate manna. Uh, they drank from the rock, and then they all died. And a new generation is raised up. Okay. Um, and the new generation is going to go take the land, right? So numbers, they go to the land, they reject the Lord, takes them out in the wilderness, kills them all. Okay. New generation, second generation. Um, so uh, 
just as Moses circumcised the first generation, brought them under the covenant agreement with the Lord, now the second generation, the same thing. The law is going to be re-given to the second generation. Deutero, second, Namas law, second law, is given to the next generation. And they're going to go take the land, except Moses isn't going because Moses blew it. Um, basically, Moses was inter he was interceding for the people. Every time the Lord says, "Moses, get out of the way," I'm going to kill him. Moses says, "No, no, Lord, you can't kill him. You kept you got to keep your promises." Finally, the Lord says, "Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill him." Moses says, "Sounds good to me. Kill him all." <laughs> uh, Moses, you're done. Right? And so Moses' job was to intercede. He was uh, sitting in the spot over Israel, operating as a type of Christ, doing what Christ was going to do until he came. Does that make sense? And so Moses fails, and so Joshua takes his place. And Joshua, the book of Joshua, talks of Israel going into the land. Now, when they go into the land, who are they supposed to wipe out? Team Satan. Why? Because they will cause you to follow their gods. They will cause you to do what's good and right in your own eyes and not what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And that will not go well for you, as you have just seen. See, I wiped out the first generation because they rejected me. Uh, and you don't want that to be you. So you kill the Amorites, Hittites, Canaanites, Jebusites, all those ites from the, the, genera from the genealogy of that bottom group. Kill them all. Kill them all. If it breathes, kill it. Uh, lest they cause you to follow their gods. For the Lord, your God, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you. He will wipe you off the map. Now, um, so this covenant is made between Israel and the Lord uh, with the first generation, and then again with the second generation. And here's the rules. If you follow me and you anticipate, look forward to the coming Messiah, you will be blessed in the land. But if you reject me, I will pour out upon you curses that you can't imagine. War, famine, death. I'll bring the, your enemies, the Gentiles, and uh, the team Satan, and I will judge you with them, and they will disperse you among the nations, and I will wipe you off the face of the planet. Okay? So that's the rules. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Um, the rest of the story, you've got to know that. Now, also in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord says, okay, until Messiah comes, I'm going to establish officers who will ensure that you people do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. They're going to be judges. And the instruction on how the judges were to operate, they were not to be partial, they were not to take bribes, uh, they were to do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, priests, they were to, uh, to intercede and to... Uh, to represent uh, you to the Lord and the Lord to you. And then kings. I will put a king over you. Uh, and this king will ensure that Israel does what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And then finally, prophets. I will reveal myself to the prophets, and they will proclaim the word of the Lord to you. So it's judges and priests and kings and prophets. And so the story begins in the book of Judges, evaluating the judges. See how that works? We're going to go right down the order. Judges, then priests, then kings, then prophets. And the judges are going to do what's 
good and right in their own eyes and not what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. There was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Okay. Uh, the story's going to begin uh, with the good uh, judge, and it's going to end with Samson, who does what's good and right in his own eyes. Okay. Um, then at the end of the book of Judges, the focus, because the judges are failing to establish righteousness in the land, failing to do what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord, then the focus turns to the priests. So chapters 17 through 21 of the book of Judges uh, is evaluating the priests. And they're worse than the judges. They're leading rebellion, their civil war, uh, because of their leadership. Uh, Israel's cities are going up in smoke. Uh, one tribe is almost eradicated from the other 12. Um, and so it's not good. In fact, it's terrible. Israel looks like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so when the book of Samuel begins, Eli is the priest. The Lord's not communicating through Eli. And so there's this little girl, wife, whose name is Hannah. She has a son. Uh, she prays to the Lord for a son. And the Lord, Shama, heard her prayer. Shama El, God heard. That's what Samuel means. God heard. And uh, so Samuel comes onto the scene. He's a judge and a priest and a prophet. And he does what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord and leads the nation well. But the Lord rejects him because uh, Israel rejects him because they want a king like the other nations. So Israel, Saul, asks for a king. Saul, that's what Saul means, talking about being the names. And so God gives them what they ask for, a king like the other nations. Uh, and that's King Saul. And Saul's going to fail. Man looks at the outward part, but God looks at the heart. God was looking, a man was looking at the outward part, Samuel, but God looks at the heart. David, and so God chooses David. This is the first time in the story uh, that a leader is from the correct tribe, the tribe of Judah. And so God uh, repeats the promise given to uh, Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and now coming to Judah. It's called the Davidic covenant. God promises that David will have a son, and that's the one. And so the Davidic kingship, the Davidic kingdom is established, uh, and David rules until David does what's right in his own eyes. Until he saw Bathsheba, he saw that she was told, beautiful. And he took this repeat of the garden, right? Uh, and so David fails. But the promise has already been given to David, right? And so you remember the story, you may remember the story of Nathan the prophet shows up at David's door, knocks on the door. Anytime a prophet shows up and you're the king, that's not a good day. It's not going to go well for you, right? Um, and so the prophet shows up and tells him a story. Remember the story? A little, you know, this guy had a little ewe lamb and his neighbor and stole him. Uh, and asked David, what should be the judgment? David said, correctly, fourfold. 
this man has to repay fourfold. It's right out of Exodus chapter 22. Um, theft of the new lamb, fourfold. Nathan says, you're the man, David. You're the man. The penalty is death, and you have to repay four times. Well, how do you repay fourfold death? He wasn't told because he's the king, right? He's the king. Uh, and so you're going, how does this work? You're going to watch in the story as four of David's sons die, one after another. Right? Uh, the first one is, remember how he got into this mess, was with Bathsheba. So David's uh, son from Bathsheba dies. And then Amnon and Absalom die. Uh, and then you go into the book of Kings, and Adonijah dies. Uh, and then Solomon becomes the king. And the Lord says, all right, Solomon, if you follow me as your father David did, then I will renew my covenant with you. Solomon does it. And after Solomon, the kingdom is split. Uh, ten tribes reject the Lord. Uh, they reject um, uh, the promise. And so the kingdom is split into the north and the south. Israel's in the north and Judah's in the south. The promise is in the south with Judah. Okay. Um, and so now we're into the book of Kings. And every king introduced in the book of Kings, either in the north or the south, it says the same thing. Basically, king so-and-so reigned in the north when king so-and-so was in the south, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and caused the nation to sin. Yes, the story connects David directly to Judah. So in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 38, um, uh, Judah and Tamar have a son, Perez, have two sons, but the son that we care about. Um, and then in the book of Ruth, the story of the book of Ruth picks up that genealogy and connects from Tamar, Jude and Tamar, to David the king. Right? And so all the genealogies that are in the Bible, they're there for a reason. They're to get you to Jesus. No other genealogies really matter other than populate the nations and get us to Jesus. All right? uh, what's your genealogy? I have no idea. We're mutts. We're, <laughs> we're, we're mutts from a long line of mutts. I have no idea. Um, you can do the, what's the little, you send in your little ancestry DNA and it will say you're a mutt too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but these genealogies matter, right? Uh, and so uh, the kingdom is split. The, the promise is with Judah, with David in the south, and the northern kingdom. There's no hope in the northern kingdom. Does that make sense to you? No hope for what? No hope for Messiah, no hope for blessing, no hope for removal of the curses. No hope for resurrection from the dead. No hope of eternal life. No hope of fixing the next mess that happened all the way back there in Genesis chapter 3. Right? But the kingdom is split. All evil kings in the north and almost all evil kings in the south. Right? And so the prophets start showing up one after another. Remember we went from judges, the failure of judges, to the failure of the priests. Now to the failure of the kings. And now we're to the prophets. And the prophets increasingly are becoming false prophets. Um, not speaking the word of the Lord, speaking from their own inspiration, claiming they're hearing from the word of the Lord when they've heard nothing. Uh, and they are unable to establish righteousness in the land. And so the Lord kicks them back out of the land of promise 
and kicks them back into exile, back under slavery, back under Gentile rule, just like they were under Egypt. In fact, this is what Hosea the prophet's going to say. You're going back to Egypt, except it's not Egypt. So as was promised back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you're obedient, I will bless you. If you're disobedient, I will curse you. And those cursings will come in the waves of war, Gentile nations coming upon you, and famine and death. And so here come the Gentile nations as promised, starting with Assyria, and then Babylon, and then the Medes and the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. By the way, that's the book of Daniel. Daniel is right here. Assyrians uh, have already come and have taken everything except for Jerusalem. And so here's Daniel. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes, and he hauls off the first group of royal kids to Babylon. And this is Daniel. He comes again. This is in 605 B.C. He comes again a few years later in 597, and he hauls off Ezekiel the prophet. And then the third time he comes, he totally destroys the place, destroys the temple, tears it down, destroys the land, and the people are dispersed. This is Jeremiah the prophet is writing about this. It's all the prophets, the writing prophets that you know, they're talking about these judgments that are coming upon Israel because of Israel's disobedience. So when you open up Isaiah, Isaiah is saying, all right, you kings better pay attention. The Assyrians are coming. And the Assyrians do come uh, and um, haul everybody off except for Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. And Isaiah says, well, you're lucky, but the Babylonians are coming next. Right? Um, Jeremiah, uh, the Babylonians are here. Uh, Habakkuk, we just went through, right? Hey, Lord, have you recognized that these people are evil? Yeah, we've been watching, been watching. Uh, what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm on it. I'm going to bring the Babylonians, and they're going to haul you into captivity. <laughs> Wait a second, Lord. Uh, we're not for that. All right. What's going to happen to us, the believers? The Lord says you will. He who is righteous by faith shall live. Well, that was always what was going on. All of the believers throughout the story who were righteous by faith shall live at the end of the story. Is that making sense? Um, Ezekiel, um, uh, the glory of the Lord departs the temple. Israel is dispersed among the nations. So all of the prophets are writing about this part of the story. With me. And now that Israel's kicked out of the land and the promised Messiah hasn't come, what do we do? The Lord says, I'll bring a remnant back into the land just so I can fulfill my promises. And that's it. So a partial restoration of Israel to the land. A remnant returns. Um, not many. They build a small temple, nothing like the original one, um, so that the Lord could keep his promise made to David, which they blew. And now this, this promise isn't coming through any male line. It's going to come through a little girl. All I need, the Lord says, is a descendant of David, a little girl, and I'll do it myself. From Bethlehem. So the Christ appears. Now Israel is going to remain in captivity. They're going to remain in exile. They're going to remain dispersed among the nations until... They return to the Lord uh, and serve him with all their heart and with all their soul. 
When they return to the Lord, he will restore them from captivity, and he will have compassion on them. So they need to repent. Repent of their sins. What sins? Sins of going after the gods of the nations. Sins of going down there to team Satan. Right? Return to the Lord, the only God in whom there is salvation. Does that make sense to you? The only God in whom there is a hope, a future and a hope, Jeremiah 29. Um, if they return to the Lord, he will restore them from captivity and have compassion upon them. And so John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, shows up, and his sermon is the same sermon as every other prophet. What was it? Return to the Lord, and he will restore you from captivity and have compassion upon you. Do they repent? Nope. They reject the Lord. Uh, and so uh, the Lord then uh, trains his disciples, those who are of the remnant, believing remnant, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, here we are, right? This is where we come in, right? So uh, the apostles, the disciples, followers of Jesus, the followers become sent ones. That's all disciple means follower. Apostle means sent out. Um, Paul is brought in as, a, as an apostle, disciple and apostle, and he's sent to the Gentiles. And so the word of the Lord is going out to the Gentiles through the church, this, this church, this, this gathering of people that in the Old Testament was only made up of Israel. Now the Gentiles have been brought in to the church and to the ecclesia. Um, and so these, uh, the apostles all die, yes? So what happens after the apostles die? Well, elders are going to be appointed in the church. To do what? To teach the words of the apostles and prophets, prophets of the Old Testament, apostles in the New, until Israel repents and is restored. Okay? So that's what we're doing. The gospel is going out. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, however, are you blessed? If you believe in Christ, you have the promise of future blessing. Um, that God is faithful, the main character, all the way through here is faithful to complete that which he promised. That through Christ, through the seed of Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When? When you come to Jesus, then you get a big downfall of cash money. So you believe in Jesus, and you go buy lottery tickets. That's what's going to happen. No, that's not what's going to happen. No. Uh, you believe in Jesus, what's going to happen? Remember, there's two teams. What does the other team think of you? They hate your guts. What? So this is how it's been from the beginning, right? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will suffer. This should not shock you. But you have a promise of future hope, future restoration, future blessing. That make sense? Okay. So what do you do now? Endure. Endure what? Endure the same stuff that everybody's, you know, sin, sickness, sorrow, suffering, death. You going through that? Yeah, we all are. And you get the bonus of Team Satan hating your guts and trying to kill you. But there's nothing they can do to you. So you have the promise of resurrection, eternal life. As every saint throughout the Old Testament did, that's actually the point of Hebrews chapter 11. And before, by faith, by faith, by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. 
And so what Daniel is looking forward to, what the prophets are looking forward to, in light of Israel's rejection, in light of Israel, you know, we got plenty of time, in light of Israel being kicked out of the land, they look forward to the promise of God, of the restoration of Israel, of the establishment of the kingdom, and the fulfillment of all God's promises. So the prophets are always looking forward to the future um, restoration of the nation Israel. Does that make sense? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's preaching to a bunch of Jews, and he says, repent, return to me, and I'll restore you from captivity. Um, he liked all of his parables. Go back to Old Testament stories. A man had two sons. One was a sinner. And because he was a sinner, he was judged as a sinner, and he was banished from the land. And in exile, he was uh, suffering famine and pestilence and the curses that were pronounced in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And you know what he does? In the land of banishment, in the land of exile, he comes to his senses. He repents, and he returns to his father. Is this story re reminding you of anything? He returns to his father and he says, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your prior And the father restores him from captivity and have comp has compassion for him. This is the story of the lost son. Of course, the other son, who's the Pharisee, is saying, I'm not a sinner. Right? And so all of these stories in the New Testament are still relating back to this story of the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay. And the prophets are looking forward to the time after that it's called the fullness of the Gentiles. After the promise of the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and all the Gentiles have believed, people from every tongue, every nation, every tribe, all the team Satan, they're leaving team Satan, and they're coming and they're joining team Jesus, so to speak. Right? And after that process is complete, after the Lord has saved all that he intended to save, then he will again return his focus to Israel, and he will restore them. Right? This is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapters 4 through 19, is how God brings his people back to himself. They are his people, and he will keep his promises to them. Book of Revelation. Is that making sense? Am I tracking? Right. Um, every part of that story just moves that little that storyline along. Making, making sense? Okay. So when you're reading a part in the story, Gospels, for example, uh, we make our students write a paragraph in our, our PhD students. By the way, PhD. You kidding me? This, this isn't PhD. This is Storytelling 101, right? You can get a PhD from Dallas Seminary for understanding the story. I don't know how, but apparently that impresses us. <laughs> but... In the Gospels, what's going on in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, who is promised to Israel, appears and says, here I am, and they say, we hate your guts. And so he trains his disciples to go take the Gospel to the nations. If you got something other than that going on in the Gospels, I don't know what you're doing. The Gospel is not written for you to be able to walk on water, or to still the storms in your life, or help you to raise dead people, or none of that. The promised Messiah of the Old Testament appears 
does the signs that were promised in the Old Testament that only Messiah would do, raise the dead, cause the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the blind to see, the poor to have the gospel. He does it all, and they go, nope. And so in light of their rejection, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. That's the Gospels, that's the book of Acts. The epistles are written to uh, Jews, Peter, James, John, or Gentiles, all of Paul's writings, explaining to believing Jews who are undergoing persecution, or believing Gentiles who are undergoing persecution, how to live during the time between Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and his return. The book of Revelation talks about how he fixes it all. The Old Testament talks about the story. Making sense? So all parts of the story fit together and contribute. If you, if you go into detail in one part of the story and you don't know the whole story, you know, um, for example, uh, Daniel chapter 1 talks about uh, um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These are actually uh, Israelites who were taken to Babylon, uh, Babylon, Jews who were taken to Babylon. Their names were changed. And they are uh, being trained by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to serve him in his court. And instead of eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine, they eat vegetables. Um, I had a, uh, one of our students there at the seminary. Uh, he played defensive tackle at the University of Iowa and then went to play for the, the Rams and spent uh, a few seasons with the Rams. He was 300-pound defensive lineman, uh, and now he weighs 230 pounds. And so I asked him, how'd you do it? He says, I became a vegan. And he laughed. He says, I'm on the Daniel diet. Now, this book is, Daniel 1, chapter 1 is not there so that you can become a vegan and lose 70 pounds if you're a defensive tackle, okay? That's the type of stuff. That's what we do with that. But that's not it. Okay. The point was, you with me? The, the point was that Daniel and his friends followed the Lord, uh, and the Lord gave them the wisdom that King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to train into them by doing something else. And King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that these sons have more wisdom than any of the ones that he's trained. And so there's the contrast. Does that make sense? So we are not advocating in any way, shape, or form eating vegetables only. <laughs> I just have to do that so I can justify my diet. Um, I think in the Hebrew it says donuts. They ate only donuts and drank water. <laughs> so that's, that's an example. Does that make sense? Okay, questions. What questions do you have? Go ahead. Um, so I'm curious. A lot of the prophets, especially the prophets, and Jesus that is discussion. So, hearing you say like that sense of disciples, what sort of what was fulfilled as far as keeping it comes? It wasn't just a Oh, Jesus was rejected, and so disciples were our hope. Um, Jesus did bring a completion of what was prophesied, but it wasn't 
Anyway, yeah, good. Okay, good. Um, all right, so, so um, the good part about a question uh, like that is the story answers it, okay? Um, okay, so, so those of you online, if you uh, couldn't hear um, the question, the question is, let me see if I can resummarize it, basically, or, or restate it. Um, um, the Old Testament talks about a kingdom, establishment of the kingdom. Um, Jesus comes. What's he doing? Um, even after Christ's death, burial, resurrection, uh, in the book of Acts, the disciples asked Jesus this question. Is it now you are establishing the kingdom? And his response, it's not for you to know the times or epics. Okay. Uh, and so there is a kingdom that will be established in the future. Yet, um, how does that relate to us now? It's actually answered in Daniel chapter 2. In uh, the vision in Daniel chapter 2, remember the vision is Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Do you remember this? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Uh, he sees a statue of head and gold, and, you know, head of gold, and chest of silver, and bronze, and, uh, and so forth. And Daniel interprets the dream. Okay? And he explains that this statue represents four kingdoms that will come and rule over the land of Israel until the time of Messiah comes. Um, the rock cut from a mountain will come and will destroy this mountain, or destroy the, I'm sorry, uh, the, 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 the uh, rock cut from the mountain will come and destroy this statue, and it will utterly obliterate it, and none of it will be left. Okay? Uh, during the time of uh, the last king, this rock appears, and it strikes the statue, uh, and it's during that time, during the, the times of those kings, uh, that the, the Messiah, the, sto the, 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 the gospel is going out, the promise is going out, uh, and a people are being collected for the kingdom. This is what's happening now. You have believed, and so you are um, a member of the kingdom, but the kingdom is not yet at hand. When Jesus shows up, he says, the kingdom is at hand. Here I am. They say, nope, we're not, we're not with you. Um, so our inheritance is in heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. Why is your citizenship in heaven? Why is your inheritance in heaven? Because that's where your king is. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? And so you're waiting for the king who has been appointed identified and sitting at the right hand of the Father to come and establish the kingdom. That is when he will put all of his enemies under his feet. And that's what we're looking forward to. Does that make sense? Does that help? Yes. So, um, so what did Christ fulfill in his first coming? Actually, not much. Not much. Um, his birth was fulfilled. The identification, uh, his being identified was fulfilled. Uh, but Jesus healing a blind person or two does not fulfill Isaiah 35, where he causes all the blind to see, all the deaf to hear, all the lame to walk. And by the way, the blind, the deaf, and the lame in the book of Isaiah are not just physical blindness or physical deafness or physical lameness. Israel is presented as being blind so that they do not see what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord. 
deaf so that they cannot hear the word of the Lord, and lame, they're kicked out of the land, and they're dispersed among the nations, and lame so that they cannot return to the Lord. Right? Um, but when Christ comes, when he restores them, um, then he will give sight to the blind, uh, cause the, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. And then those who wait upon the Lord will mount up on wings like eagles. They will walk and not be faint. Where they where they running to? Where are they walking to? Back to the land. They will come back on highways. They went out, they'll return. They'll return to the Lord, and what will he do? Restore them from captivity, and he will have compassion upon them, and he will restore the kingdom. So that's what we're looking for. So it's a simple story. Uh, it's easy to get bogged down in details uh, or a to-do list of here's the things that you got to do. Um, we always kid, misquote uh, Galatians chapter 6, pay your teachers. Take that out of context. Here's what you need to do, pay your teachers. I'll take, I'm cash, taking cash uh, at, the, at the back door. I'm kidding, by the way. Okay, good. So why the law? Why was the law added? That's really what you're asking. Why was the law added? Why? Yeah, here, here's the sacrifices, the list of do's and don'ts, the don't move your It's real simple. Uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And... Uh, Israel makes up a lot of ways to not do that. Um, um, they hate their brother. They're killing one another. They're moving boundary markers. They're using unjust way. I mean, they, they got a long list of stuff. And so the Lord says, no, that's not loving your brother. It's not loving your brother when you move your brother's boundary markers. It's not loving your brother uh, when your ox is outdooring your neighbor's kids. It's not your loving your, right? So there's a long list. So Paul explains that the law was added because of transgressions. The law was added so that they would see their sinfulness. The problem is it didn't work. Because the Lord is holy. Well, uh, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Uh, and so the gravity of your sin. Um, uh, and the holiness of holiness, that's a word that we've lost its meaning because we don't know what it means. So we make, change the meaning. He is set apart. He's not like any other God. Um, little things like uh, when, when Israel is bringing the tabernacle back, the Ark of the Covenant back, and they're moving it, and one of the men stumbles and actually accidentally touches it and struck dead. Lord, what? The? No, no. Right. Uh, the fear, the fear of the Lord, right. uh, and uh, the uh, reverence is how we translate it. It's not reverence; it's it's flat fear. Right. No one sees the Lord, but this 
great and mighty and awesome, fear-striking God shows compassion for the orphans and widows and aliens. You get that, you got the character. Making sense? Everybody tracking? Story, is that helpful? All, uh, so you feel like you've got the Bible a little better? Here. And we get, uh, well, we had time to spare. Now we don't. So let me pray for us, and then uh, y'all can give me your cash. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, thanks for our time and uh, for the story and for the simplicity of the story and the simplicity of your plan. And so, Lord, as we go, uh, help us to love you and to love others as, uh, as uh, ourselves. And so it's a simple prayer uh, that we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.